Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nicole. Hey there, Shal. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. How are you going? Oh, busy, 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 mm-hmm. but good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting a lot of work done before winter hits and things slow down. So how about you? Because yes, we are recording this in October. On yes. The week of Halloween. Yeah, it's pretty busy here too. And we're we're kind of prepping for Halloween, non-Halloween plans. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because our town decided to stick with trick-or-treating and all the towns around us decided to cancel trick-or-treating. So I told my kids, you are not going trick-or-treating during the middle of the pandemic when all the other kids from all the surrounding towns are going to be coming to our town. Not just that, but the numbers are increasing astronomically. So I think at this point in time, the rates in Massachusetts have gone up by like 63% again or something like that, or the rate of rising, the rate that it's rising, I should say. Right. So we have plans to hide some candy around the house for Hunter to find, and we're going to have some fun snacks and watch a spooky movie and have him dress up, but we are not going to go door to door. And I'll just be honest. This is the kind of parent I am. I am so happy. I don't have to go trick or treating. (laughs) You were going to say that. That's why I was like preemptively smiling. You're like, not like, Oh, I know where she's going with this. Like we are going to have a fire in the fireplace. And then I didn't even really like trick or treating that much as a kid. I just, it's cold. And it is cold. Dark. And then yes. the older you get, like the less fun it gets. And of course I take my kids cause I love them. But honestly, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I love Halloween as in that it's spooky. And I love doing Halloween makeup. I hate trick or treating. And I am so excited to not, I'm sad that we're in a pandemic and that's why, but on sure, the other hand, sure, I am sure. so excited to like, not have to deal with the whole trick-or-treating thing. And I hope that there are other parents listening to this right now who are agreeing with me. Absolutely. (laughs) And I'm sure there are some listeners right now who are saying, what a terrible mom. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I get it. I get it. Right, 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 right. We all have our thing. Mm It's just not your thing. I make up for it in other ways, dear listeners. So... (laughs) 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 I love that about you that you're so honest about it though Mm -hmm. yeah I'm just not and then just the whole buying the costumes my kids about making their own costumes but standing in line and the costumes are so expensive and good luck finding a girl's costume it doesn't like that is suitable for cold weather I will just say that's right Right. Uh, I just don't like any part of that. Yep. So I don't have any little ones to go trick-or-treating with. And so for that, I'm thankful. Grace has been kind of over it for the last few years. And she gets like, has gone to like Halloween parties with her girlfriends. And this year being during the pandemic, she and a small group who've been getting together fairly like every couple weeks-ish or so her girlfriends, they are getting, hold on, I'm going to move my whole setup here. They're getting together Saturday night and they're having like, you know, pizza and whatever, but nobody's going out trick-or-treating. They are dressing up, but it's literally just a handful, like three or four girls. Yeah. And I did go buy her a witch's hat and a black tutu and whatever to go with, but I hear you. It's expensive. And it's a cold. So, yeah. Yeah, we spend a lot of money on candy because our neighborhood is hit big and we still run out halfway through the night. But I'm like, this year we get to turn on our light. And then the other thing is as the kids get older, I don't understand their costumes because they, my kids like to dress as like YouTubers that they like. 
or, <laughs> or game characters that right. they like video game characters and I'm like I have no idea who, who that even are. is <laughs> right what happened to like firemen and witches right. <laughs> like a witch a ghost a fireman I don't get you anymore <laughs> yeah right exactly a cowboy right mm-hmm. yeah yeah I know I hear you well it is what it is. It's hard for me to imagine, though, that we're like November in a few days. I know. And to all you listening, it's well past November. I hope you guys had a good Halloween, COVID Halloween. Right. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, this because this is airing later. That's right. And we hope yeah. you all stayed healthy. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to favorites of the week. All right. Do you want to go first, Nicole? Sure. So I'm terrible at picking my favorite of the week. Shelly knows this. She usually has to give me prompts and reminders because I'm that friend in this friendship. And (laughs) I am wearing a sweater right now that I totally love. And I've been wearing it. I'm not even going to lie like every other day since I got it. And I got it through the, um, the website three bird nest and I love their everything. They have like kind of like bohemian clothes, some really cute stuff. Some of their prices are high, but they have a lot of deals that come up. So I look for their deals. I get their emails and stuff. So everything that comes from them, I'm always like super happy with. And that's my favorite of the week because I'm wearing this sweater yet again. And now I'm having a hot flash. The sweater's actually coming off like right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 47. You're an asshole, but whatever. (laughs) Are their sizes like true to size or? Yeah, I do find that everything is true to size and the quality is very good. Mm -hmm. I do like their stuff. I've been happy with everything I've bought off their website. Great. Yeah. How about you? What's your favorite of the week? So it must be like a clothes-themed week because mine is also uh-huh. a So do you know what Bonfire is? No. So Bonfire is a like a website that you can go and create your own shirts to sell. Oh, fun. And there's one store on there. They're called Boob Tees. So ah. you go to bonfire.com and search for Boob Tees, then they will show up. And I have bought so much stuff from them. They're basically like parent and breastfeeding related. They have shirts for parents and they have shirts for babies. So if anyone follows me on Instagram, you've probably seen me wear some of their shirts. Like I have one that says tricky nipples, pay my bills. Um, and I just ordered one that's just like a shirt full of boobs. <laughs> I love it. Like they have a onesie for a baby where it says milk monster. With a, I love it. They have an oxytocin bag. They have a shirt for moms that say milk maker. It's really good. They have some state shirts too that are local. But I really like them. They have coffee cups too. I actually just bought the boob shirt and then I bought a boob coffee mug. Oh my God. Another mug? (laughs) (laughs) And you know me. Like I cannot stop buying boob thing that's hilarious <laughs> i have boob magnets boob pens boob mugs <laughs> hello i just got it boobs. oh that's awesome mm-hmm. i think it's a super fun store so if you're a mom or, or you have a baby you know that's that's a good store to check out good Hey everyone, I know that having a baby can be a little overwhelming and confusing. If you're looking for a place where you can get all your childbirth prenatal education needs, visit ShellyTaftIBCLC.com. Nicole and I are offering right now an online virtual childbirth educating education class, a prenatal breastfeeding class, and we're soon launching a prenatal newborn care class and a prenatal sleep education course. So you can learn all about infant sleep, even before the baby comes. So I'm going to drop that link in the notes and you can check it out and we hope to see you there. So let's move on to question of the week. All right. Okay. So today's question is my two month old has trouble with breastfeeding. The latch is painful. I had a lactation Mm -hmm. consultant come who said that he has a tongue tie. 
she's recommending that the tongue tie be released. Is this something that I should go forward with? Oh, man. Poor baby, poor mama. <laughs> I think that is every lactation consultant's reaction when we hear right. tongue tie. We're like, ah. I know. Tongue tie is something we a lot. And it's so the answer is never a one size fits all. Right. Do you have anything to say about that question, Nicole? I would say that it's worth getting a consult for with somebody who does release them, Mm -hmm. especially if your lactation consultant gave you any recommendations on who to go for. I would suggest at least a meeting with them. Tongue tie can absolutely affect breastfeeding as well as a lot of other things that happen later in life, Mm -hmm. um, which we know about. So I would say have it checked, you know, if that's something you're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And there are definitely varying degrees of tongue ties. Like I think tongue ties can in some areas of the country be overtreated and overdiagnosed. Yeah. Not every tie has to be treated. And sometimes there are other things that we can do to help the baby feed more efficiently or more comfortably for the mom. Uh But if you are working with a lactation consultant who skills with working with tongue tied babies, then she should give you a referral to providers who are skilled at assessing and releasing them if it's necessary. Agreed. And the most important part to remember about a tongue tie release, if you do decide to go forward, is that the baby has to be ready mm-hmm. for the release. So any other issues that they may be having, structural issues, needs to be addressed first. Yeah. Or else nothing's going to change with the release. Really. Right. So right. that definitely for sure needs to happen. What's really important is what do you guys, what do families feel like they want to do that works for them? What are they comfortable with? Right. Right. So there's no like general answer where we're going to say, yes, you should get it done. It's what is the provider saying and what's going on in the situation with the breastfeeding. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Totally agree. So today we're going to be interviewing Melissa Cole, and she's going to be talking about herbs during the postpartum period. So Mm -hmm. when we come back, we will be talking with her. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Okay. I'm so excited that we are talking with Melissa Cole this week. Melissa Cole is an international board certified lactation consultant, a neonatal oral motor assessment professional, and a clinical herbalist. Thank you, Melissa, for joining us. Well, thank you for that warm introduction, Shelley. I'm happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice. Yes. So I am in the Pacific Northwest. I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I'm in private practice as a lactation consultant, feeding therapist, and clinical herbalist. And I definitely am excited to connect with you today because I feel a lot of families want to implement herbs or they've heard about herbs from a friend and they're not sure if it's right for them or if it's safe for them or their newborn. And so it's something that comes up a lot in practice and I'm happy to share some resources and ideas with your listeners. Great. So do you primarily work with postpartum families? That is the bulk of the families I see are coming to me after they've had their baby and maybe they're having issues that they didn't expect to have issues with. So that is probably the biggest percentage of the population I work with. I work with quite a few individuals um, prenatally if they know that they might have certain risk factors or maybe had a challenging experience with um, prior children, then they're often kind of proactively seeking care. So I do see quite a few families prenatally. And then I do see families coming in just for herbal and wellness support, maybe that have worked with me before or just sort of looking for that aspect of care. And with my other hat on, I also teach other lactation consultants and clinicians about lactation and herbal related topics. Perfect. It's kind of like a hot thing right now in like all the moms groups mm-hmm. to be recommending herbs to each other mm-hmm. for everything from like to help with sleep or yeah. to help with milk production. And sometimes I work with a family where they're taking herbs that they read about mm-hmm. on a mom's group. And yeah. that always concerns me a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about like the safety when taking herbs and why it's not a good idea to just generally start taking something you read about? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely 
always want families to feel empowered, to take charge of their family's wellness and health. But we sort of have this like idea like, well, if it's natural, it must be safe. And that's just not always true. And I also really like to look at it from an individualized standpoint. So just because maybe this herb worked for your best friend, it doesn't mean it's the herb that your body or your baby needs. And so first there's that, you know, look at safety. Is it the right herb for you? Are there any herb drug medication interactions we need to be mindful of if you're taking other medications or supplements? Do you have anything in your health history where this might not be a compatible herbal option for you? So we're always kind of looking at it from a safety and an individualized perspective. And then I also don't like to just treat things in a blanket way like, oh, I have low milk supply, so you need herbs X, Y, and Z, because there's often underlying factors that also need to be addressed and supported. So I think for many people, many herbs out there are not necessarily going to cause great risk or harm, but also, you know, we do want to think about anything we're ingesting, especially in the postpartum period or with a newborn, is this safe for me and my baby? And I always encourage, you know, clinical support if someone is taking something for a therapeutic need, you know, whether it be for milk supply or breast infection or mood concerns, that they're really working with their care team for that nice circle of support and not just blindly grabbing for a bottle of something, hoping it fixes everything. Right, right. And I would say that like the the employee who stocks the shelves Mm -hmm. at your local herbal shop is probably not an herbalist or someone who knows your full medical history and the issues that that you have and is probably not a good person to ask. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of knowledgeable people, but really, you know, taking time to get a full intake and a health history is usually not something that's going to happen in the grocery store aisle. So absolutely. (laughs) Speaking about grocery stores and herbs, The other thing that I'm quite picky about is sourcing and quality. You know, that can be said for many foods and supplements. It's not a tightly regulated industry. And so therefore, there's a lot of room for companies to throw out products and be like, hey, this is a great herbal supplement, but we don't necessarily know the quality of the herb it contains, the potency, the ethical sourcing of the plant material. And so I really also push you know, knowing your sourcing, knowing what quality resources are in your community or online, depending on where you're at in the world. And be, I am a little picky about herbal selection because anybody can say, hey, this is what's in the bottle and not have it well vetted for. So sourcing is also important. Right. I completely agree. Yeah. What are the common things that parents approach you for help with with herbs? Well, I think sometimes families are coming in, they don't necessarily even think think of herbs, right? If they're just saying I am dealing with, you know, maybe some anemia postpartum or, you know, I really want to support optimizing milk flow or milk supply, or gosh, I'm dealing with some postpartum anxiety around feeding. And so they don't necessarily come and saying, I want herbs for this or that. But I might say, you know, hey, if this is something you'd like to talk about, I can maybe suggest some botanicals that often support this issue you're dealing with. If you want, I'll be happy to provide enough information so you can make an informed choice and see if that's something you want to incorporate in your care plan. So sometimes people are just not even knowledgeable that an herbal option exists for their issue. And so it's the first time they're hearing about it. And then some individuals are coming in and they're already taking like 20 different things. (laughs) And then we're sorting through figuring out what is really the best strategy for them. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, like you said, families are hearing of like in a mom's group that, you know, try this herb, it works really well, but not really understanding the root cause of their issue. And so Mm -hmm. I always think that's why you want your excellent international board certified lactation consultant on your team or whoever is a part of your postpartum care team to really help you kind of figure out what's going on, what's the root cause of this issue and then start to target it appropriately. Mm -hmm. And what are the most common issues that you suggest herbs for? Absolutely. Well, definitely, I think a lot of us see milk supply concerns and Mm -hmm. parents that are struggling with milk production for whatever reason, whatever reason that was, either a suboptimal start to milk removal or maybe an underlying hormonal or endocrine or anatomical issue. And so that's where we really want to pick the right herb for the situation so that it can help them the most. So milk supply, for sure. Other common issues that I'll see right now, I mean, obviously in COVID, but even pre-COVID, 
mood concerns, feeling mm-hmm. isolated, feeling concerned, feeling anxious. And obviously, you know, thinking about that in a greater therapeutic lens that getting people to therapeutic resources appropriately is important. But a lot of times people are dealing with underlying mood stuff that's impacting them maybe more than they realize. And so mood concerns, definitely, you know, whether it's little baby blues or a little bit of anxiety or worry or something that some people are self-aware of and some aren't. And there are a lot of good herbal options for mood. And then breast health issues, you know, individuals that deal with recurrent inflammation, engorgement, you know, mastitis, plug ducts are often struggling and in pain and wanting some comfort measures there. And then I see a lot of baby-sided issues. On the flip side of the coin, I see a lot of digestive issues and babies with gas or reflux or discomfort. So those are some top issues I see frequently. Mm-hmm. And what do you usually recommend? Like, I know it's, this would be like kind of a generalized answer because um, looking at each individual is important, but are there herbs that you would generally recommend for like a baby who's really fussy and colicky? Yeah. And it really depends on the age of the baby and the root cause. Like you said, oftentimes if we're identifying that, Hey, this issue seems to be more a digestive issue. We're figuring out, well, is there something maybe in the parent's diet that's irritating and can we look at that? So I usually start on the parent side of things. Do we think that maybe this baby would be supported with some good gut flora or baby probiotic that's appropriate? So we might look towards just gut flora health. So parental diet, the the gut flora, and then kind of getting to like, well, what is bothering the baby? Is it a little bit more of a refluxy profile? Is it a little bit more like gas or struggling with gastric or gut motility and having sluggish bowel movements? So depending on what the baby's struggling with, then we would pick certain herbs. There's actually some good efficacy and evidence in the published literature around uh, sort of the herbs in, in gripe water type formulations that are very classic, you know, little chamomile, fennel, anise, catnip. Like there's some very specific herbs that are often found in common baby tummy remedies that have some good evidence and safety profiles around them that I'll often start, a, you know, for addressing the parent's diet, thinking about maybe probiotics, some belly massage, some therapeutic movement, then looking at some of these really classic baby-specific formulations in a little glycerite tincture, a little tea. Baby dosing is very small, and that's the other thing to be mindful of is appropriate dosing for big and little people is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of the little, you know, the ripe water type preparations minus all the sugar and stuff that we don't need in there can be useful for some. And then I'd get more specific depending on what the baby needed. Mm-hmm. And I know I work with a lot of moms who are coming out of the labor and delivery with some postpartum hemorrhage yeah. or high blood pressure. Is that something herbs can help? Yeah, and I think that herbs and food can support a postpartum recovery or at least speed it along. And a lot of people are are coming out of labor and delivery really depleted. And so, like you said, if they have lost a lot of blood, you know, looking at that, do they need that clinically managed or they just lose a little bit and we're needing to kind of rebuild. And there are some very nourishing herbs we can look at, nettle, dandelion, yellow dock, other iron-rich herbs or herbs that support our body's natural iron levels can be safely implemented for a lot of people. There are always times where something might be contraindicated or we want to cross check. And even probably a lot of people out there have heard of just like over the counter, like Floridix or sort of liquid iron sources that are plant-based. Also just a lot of green foods, green supplements. A lot of people have heard of Moringa these days as a leafy green that's really iron rich and nutrient dense. And I'll also talk to people about just foods that they can maybe incorporate in that are iron rich just to start that rebuilding process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely have been meaning to try dandelion green yes. forever. Yeah. <laughs> and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they're considered bitters. 
Yes, dandelions yeah. are kind of in, the, they're nutritive, but also bitters. And it's funny, a lot of the weeds around us that we work so hard to rid our yard of are actually some of our best plant allies. And it's right, if they can like survive <laughs> um, right. in the backyard and just won't die, like they really do have wonderful medicinal properties. And dandelion, pretty much the whole plant from the root to the leaf to the flower is edible and has medicinal value. But dandelion and tincture tea, especially if someone is very puffed up with edema and water retention, maybe they received a lot of IV fluids and they're really swollen, you know, that in conjunction with like some lymphatic drainage or massage can really help because I think you probably see this too. A lot of people who are struggling that their more mature milk supply is taking longer to come in because they just can't get milk removed when they're so puffed up with yeah. interstitial fluid. And so really helping you know, right? If they can't get their feet in their sandals after delivery, then it's probably going to be pretty hard for milk to come out of a breast or chest that's really swollen as well. So herbs can really support reducing edema after such a delivery. That's great. Cause that's part of my assessment when I assess the parent yeah. is I kind of look at their ankles. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you can't fit in their Birkenstocks, you know, we're in yeah. trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Later down the road. I mean, even if you're meeting them much later, and we're trying to figure out what happened, you know, how, why did things happen? Sometimes you'll hear that story, right? Like, oh, you know, my milk didn't come in for a week. And, you know, you hear back to their labor delivery and it often involved a lot of IV fluids and a lot of postpartum swelling and edema. That's something right. I think we should all be teaching about prenatally so people know what red flags to look for after delivery. A lot of people don't even put two and two with edema. Mm -hmm. But yeah, absolutely check the ankles as well. Good assessment yeah. point. Yeah. And I think a lot of moms or parents just hear from the healthcare providers like, oh, that's normal. You just kind of have to wait and it will go away. I think uh, some of the advice they get is like, oh, drink lots of water, which yeah. I'm sure helps. But yeah. there's a lot of parents don't realize that yes, this happens, but it's not something that you just have to no. live with. No. And I think people don't realize the severity of the consequences if they've been puffed up for 10 days and they've had suboptimal milk removal. Um, how sad they'll be if their goal was to lactate fully and they find themselves dealing with a compromised milk supply. I think people feel like, why didn't anybody tell me this could be a problem? And that's where we really should be giving anticipatory guidance. Like, hey, if you're dealing with this, then maybe let's address the edema a little more so that we can protect and optimize your milk supply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. And do you prefer that the parents take the herbs in like food form or capsule or tincture? You know, I'm a meet them where they're at kind of person. Mm -hmm. And I also realize most postpartum families like now are isolated and don't maybe have a lot of outside help. And B, some of these things might be kind of new or foreign. Like I don't expect anyone's going to go forage dandelions in their backyard, <laughs> like two days post cesarean. So <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, for many, um, an easily pre-prepared a tincture, which is sort of like a liquid extract you can drop under your tongue or take with a little shot of water or juice or whatever to get down the hatch, a little liquid botanical medicine is often quite easy, accessible. You can get it at a lot of different locations or online or capsules. And then if someone, you know, is, is interested in getting more creative or has a little more time, we can talk about, hey, let's throw together a few different herbs and you sort of make your own tea at home, or we can take some herbal powders and put it in your smoothie or your oatmeal. So there can be some fun, creative ways, but I always meet them where they're at. And if they're already maxed out, stressed out, like I start simple and I ask them what's doable for them. You know, mm -hmm. could you pop a few of these pills per day? Could you take a little bit of this liquid per day? I just kind of see where they're at and what they could handle. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. And I agree. Like most of the families I'm working with are so overwhelmed and they're barely yes. eating exactly. at all. So for me to say like, oh, make this fancy salad with dandelions, they're going to look at yeah, me like every Exactly. <laughs> I just want them to focus on eating enough. <laughs> exactly. And that's always top of my care plan is stay nourished, stay hydrated. And I really check in on them and like, all right, let's put a sticky note by the diaper area, like drink more water. But I also can say, if they say do brew a, a batch of like 
lactogenic tea, you know, sip on that all day, make it iced tea. Like you got to get your hydration in anyway. So sometimes we can sneak herbs in or, you know, just add some of the liquid herbs to your big old jug of water you got from the hospital. So sometimes it's easy to incorporate, but I'm always focused on real food and hydration, of course. Sure. You mentioned the person that comes to see you that's already taking like 20 herbs. And I think that that's when asking a a knowledgeable provider is nice that can take your full health history and really target what you need as an individual, because taking 20 herbs can not only be unsafe, but rather expensive. Totally. Yeah. A lot of this is, you know, quite costly. And so I'm a realistic person. I'm like, Hey, let's figure out what you really need. And then also if they do need a few particular herbs, making sure they're getting a therapeutic dose. What I'll often see when someone is on, you know, five, 10 different herbs, they're doing a little bit of every herb, but it's not a therapeutic dose of anything. So they're like, I tried all these herbs, but nothing worked. When really we'd want to maybe pick a few key herbs specific for them and really have them take an appropriate therapeutic dose. A lot of times what's on the bottle, um, if you buy some herbs at the store, it'll say like, okay, take one or two capsules. And from a safety standpoint, that's really great because they probably won't hurt themselves with one or two capsules, but it's actually usually not an herbal, like a therapeutic dose from an herbal standpoint. So usually what's on the package guideline is more about liability and safety, not always about therapeutic standards. And so that's another thing is figuring out what herbs do you really need and what's the dose for your body and, and your issue. Right. Because I think each individual responds differently to the herbs. So some might need higher doses yeah. than others and some might, shouldn't be taking certain herbs at all because of medication. Exactly. Exactly. And that's when I get really so nervous about the mom group recommendations, mm-hmm. because if yeah. there are certain herbs out there that if you are on certain medications, yeah. it is yeah. not safe not or safe. even can make the problem worse. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think there should always be a disclaimer, right? Like if you yes. are, if you have any particular health condition, if you are on any other medications or strong supplements, you know, really talk to somebody who can check that safety profile, you know, cross check drug or medication interactions, because yeah, you can do harm and things can also not help the cause. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thinking particular people are on any kind of, you know, blood thinner, thyroid medication, or blood pressure medications, like all of those, we should really be cautious and double check before just blindly taking supplements. Mm-hmm. Are you more cautious if, for example, the baby is like a premature? Yes, or of course. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, the younger the baby, the more mature, premature the baby, they're going to have more immature liver function. They're going to have a harder time excreting certain metabolites. And so definitely we would want to be extra safe. The good thing is there are actually some different herbs that have been looked at in terms of the parent's milk when they're pumping for premature babies. What did they find in the milk? How much was in there? Is it harmful? So that's something that if someone had a very premature baby, they probably want to work with an herbalist like myself or somebody who can guide their care a little bit. Um, There are some things that are compatible when someone has a premature baby, but then there are times we want to be extra cautious and make sure that baby is safe and not necessarily exposed to additional things through the parent's milk. Right. I completely agree. Yeah. Prematurity is like a whole different world. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned blood pressure earlier. What would you tell a parent who comes to you with high blood pressure? Well, again, I sound like a broken record. You know, we would look at it in an individualized way. You know, Mm -hmm. was it really pregnancy induced hypertension? Have they had a history of ongoing hypertension? Mm -hmm. Are they on a medication? Are they not? Um, We know that hypertension can impact milk production. We also know I quite commonly in practice see people on blood pressure medication struggle with milk supply from a few different angles. So there are things we can implement food and supplement wise for blood pressure, but I wouldn't say it's a blanket statement. And I want to say that just for the context of this audience that I don't want it to seem like I'm suggesting this herb or that herb, and that's the only herb for blood pressure, because it gets a little more nuanced than that. And so we can look at things like 
hawthorn and dandelion and nettle and linden and like there's so many things we can look at but i don't know that it's appropriate for me to list them all in the context of a podcast but yes there are things to do and hypertension um can be an isolated issue with pregnancy and delivery it can be something that someone's dealt with clinically or subclinically for a while and it absolutely can impact lactation so that should be supported and if a parent's interested in looking at herbal options they should think about that clinically and not just as the side note, like, yeah, I'll try some of this. Like if they're really trying to self-medicate for blood pressure, I'd be a little bit Mm -hmm. concerned. But in terms of high blood pressure, it is something that. There are a lot of wonderful blood pressure supportive herbs and cardioprotective herbs that would be compatible and safe during lactation. Yeah. Do you find that when you mentioned that you work with clients prenatally mm-hmm. too, yeah. do you find that if they, for example, do have a history of low milk supply, that right. if you're able to start working with them prenatal, yeah. that it is more, they are more likely to reach their goals than if you yeah. start working with them postpartum? Yeah, great question. I do think proactive care helps from a few levels. If they have had a challenging experience prior, then I think it helps like physiologically, there are some herbs like moringa or goat's root, different things we could do for certain individuals at the tail end of pregnancy, coupled with a proactive lactation care plan. So whatever that looks like for them individually. And then an awesome game plan for those early days postpartum so we're not cutting any corners. So mm-hmm. I love to make a proactive plan for an individual where we suspect or they've had a history of lactation difficulties. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's maybe a a first-time parent where they are just concerned they're going to have problems, but they don't have a history of problems. And then we might have a slightly different approach based on their health history or anatomy. But I do think, herbally speaking, there's a few things we could safely do at the tail end of pregnancy. And then I really love having a proactive strategy at that early start after delivery. Not cutting any corners, waiting too long to get milk removed, things like that. Sure. Yep. And that's usually what I work on too. And I think most lactation consultants when they work prenatally. Yeah. With- that's our job. That's what we should do. <laughs> yeah. Like let's have, yeah. this is how we. I'm not a wait and see person. Yes. Lactation is just too time sensitive. And I'd rather p- have someone think about putting in a little more work in the first few days to get things like set off to a good start. Yeah. There's just no room for wait and see when it comes to babies and milk. (laughs) Exactly. And those first few days, as we know, are so important for establishing a foundation for the supply. And everyone's body type is different. Some people can have a few bumps in the road the first few days or weeks and then rebound with good care later. And then some people are just always going to struggle and we would have, we don't know, could things have been better had we supported them better early on. So I'm a big advocate of really taking care of those first few days and making sure baby gets what baby needs, parent gets what parent needs, and we're really making sure we're setting the stage for success. Mm -hmm. Yep. And one thing I see that's common right now in mom's groups too is the idea that taking herbs is a replacement for good breastfeeding management. Yeah, definitely a good point. I think in part that can sometimes be led by marketing, right? There's a lot of companies that want to say, take our supplement, take this, do that, and everything will be fine. And I think any ethical company or product should always first stress the importance of clinical lactation care and IBCLC care first and foremost. Because yeah, there's no substitute for making sure there's a good lactation care plan ever. Mm -hmm. Herbs are good, but they can't, you know, work magic if there isn't good milk removal happening or or just, yeah, whatever issue we're managing, it needs to be looked at from a full picture. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I always stress that to the families that I'm working with. Like if you decide that you want to try taking any herbs, this is to support the lactation plan that we have set up in place. It is not meant to replace it. And I really wish there was like a magic tincture or whatever. Oh, you and me both. Yeah. I will say I see really good results with herbs in conjunction with an excellent lactation care plan. You know, the, the science behind it is there. And I think a lot of people who aren't necessarily into plant medicine, just kind of think, well, that's kind of hippy dippy woo woo stuff, you know, but plants just like any 
pharmaceutical have bioactive constituents and things that impact change in our bodies. And over 80% of the global population uses some form of plant medicine as primary care. And there is evidence behind herbs. Um, herbs work on lots of physiological levels to impact action in the body. They really can be a wonderful, important part of healthcare if used appropriately and taken seriously. Yep, I completely agree. Yeah. I'm curious of what your opinion is on sidestepping a little bit into the, the foods that are marketed yeah. to moms, like lactation cookies. For yeah. I'm curious to hear what your opinion is on those. Yeah. Well, I think that a lot of the foods and the beverages, while there's nothing magical about a lactation cookie, most of the time it's a doctored up cookie. So it has some better stuff, maybe some oats, some flaxseed, you know, it has some things that probably have some added nutritional value on top of a normal cookie. And so it's not that the lactation cookie is magic. It's that, hey, it had a few more nutrients. And we know that lactating individuals are often low in certain vitamins and folate and zinc and magnesium. And we, we just know that this is, you know, through research, we know that this is a nutritional issue that a lot of people are actually deficient in some certain key nutrients. And when you look at what foods are touted as lactogenic foods or drinks, they're often just kind of rich in those you know, nutrients that we're lacking. So I'm all for nutrient dense, varied diet. If you love your lactation cookies, great, but also eat some real food with your cookies, right. you know, and just the same thing with different beverages out there. Like people say, oh, you know, I, when I drank this drink or this power drink or this drink over there, I, you know, I seem to have more bountiful milk and yeah, stay hydrated, you know, drink <laughs> things that contain electrolytes and that, that, you know, replenish you. So usually it's not that the particular food being sold is magic. It's that people need nourishment and hydration. Right. Right. And I always encourage families, you know, if you're paying $6 for a cookie yeah. because it has lactation on the label, you're just yeah. paying for marketing yeah. and go ahead and look at those ingredients. Yeah. And if they, if they have them listed yeah. and, you know, make yourself a bowl of oatmeal or, yeah. you know, if you have the time, make your own cookies or yeah. have someone make you cookies. If you really yeah. like the cookie aspect, like who doesn't like eating cookies? Exactly. Really? I you love don't cookies. need to like shell out yeah. this much money because it and, says lactation cookies. I mean, it depends on the, the availability of resource to a family. If they're like, you know, I just need a quick grab and go $6 cookie and that doesn't break the bank, then that might be that luxurious little bit of self-care for them to like kind of treat themselves. But I also think, yeah, we can say like there is a way more economical way to do this. For example, with powdered herbs, you know, sometimes you might spend 20 bucks on a bottle of herbs that will maybe last you 10 days. And I could say, all right, that same herb, you could get in a powder for about four bucks for about 10 days supply and you could throw it in your oatmeal, your smoothie. And so if somebody is needing to be budget or cost conscious, I think it's good to kind of help them look for ways to incorporate things in a cost-effective way. Absolutely. And I know for some families, that's an issue. For some families, it's not. But I always am like, well, what do you think you could budget for herbs this month? You know, could we do 10 bucks, 30 bucks? You know, where are we at if we're talking about cost parameters so we can help them get the most bang for their buck in a quality way? Right. I 100% agree. Because it's like what you said before, we have to meet them where they're at. Yes, exactly. If a parent starts herbs for whatever reason, how long on typically do you find that they have to remain on them? Good question. So I am a very like, let's try things for two to four days, see if it's helping, if not switch gears kind of person. But I'd say a week, you know, if you're not getting an effect within a week, that's when I'd usually switch course or, you know, look at a different botanical option or different dosing strategy. So the whole like, oh, I got to take something for a month before I see a difference is not my experience. Mm -hmm. So I'll commonly say about two to four days, let's see how your body feels, maybe up to a week. And I think that's realistic. And I imagine that therapeutic dosing that you were mentioning earlier has a lot to do with that. Like if, yeah. if maybe they're just not taking the Right. Again, dosing is going to depend on the herb, the person and body size. But a lot of times you'll see like herbs that come in a little like one or two ounce bottle at the grocery store. And it's like, take 10 drops or take a dropper full. And then when you really do the math, they're getting like a teeny homeopathic dose of the herb. Like it's so small that of course, it's not going to do much. And whereas the dose I might recommend depending on the situation 
might be much higher than that. I might say, okay, you need five milliliters of that herb or, you know, not just a dropper full or two. And so mm-hmm. I think it, it gives perspective. If someone's not seeing change or getting a good impact, then we might want to look at dosing and work with someone to strategically dose. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. When you are coaching parents on where they should get their herbs or good sources to get mm-hmm. herbs, is there like specific things that you think they should look for, like signs of whether this is a good source or to yeah. stay away from certain sources? Yeah. Well, I definitely like it when a if something is available organic, that's great. If something is available and it has an ethical certification of how it was harvested, great. But I really like to know specific amounts. So a lot of uh, companies that make sort of a, a blend, they don't really disclose how much of each herb is in their blend. And so it's like this mystery dose. You don't really know what you're getting and they want to have this proprietary blend, which I get from a business standpoint, but the consumer has the right to know how much of each herb they're putting in their body. Mm-hmm. So I think that I like it when we see exact, you know, how many milligrams or grams are in a dose so I like clear dosing, clear packaging guidelines of what is in our bottle specifically. Where did it come from? Is it certified organic or not? If that matters to a family. I look for things, you know, with no additives or fillers or, you know, weird additive products. And I usually really instruct people to look at places that frequently sell herbs. So I really don't think... The Costco, Walmart, Target approach to herbs is where you're going to get your bestest, freshest herbs. Yeah, <laughs> so, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. We, you know, if you're going to take the time and money to buy something, put it in your body, like you want it to do the work. And so I would really say get to know if you have a local health food or herb shop, get to know them. If you have a bigger chain store like a Whole Foods, New Seasons, I don't know all the different you know, markets of choice, different places have more like organic, holistic type grocery store. They're usually going to stock better, fresher supplements that have more turnaround and they're, you know, kind of going off the shelf more readily, not just sitting there for 10 years. And then there are online resources. You know, there's definitely different herbal companies, Mountain Rose Herbs out of Eugene, very ethical company, stocks a lot of bulk or pre-prepared formulations and several others. So I'd, I'd say go to a place that really has quality natural products more than say a big box store when it comes to herbs. Mm-hmm. I love Mountain Rose herbs. Yeah, they're so and good. Like not a commercial for them, but I love no. that they're so transparent. Yes. Yeah. On how they grow and yeah. And you just have to jump on their social media and they're yeah. showing videos of their fields and how yeah. they collect their herbs and yeah. And I have no affiliation or affinity with any herbal company, and so there's lots of resources that I go to as an herbalist that maybe the like a somebody that's just a parent wanting to buy something wouldn't like access, but Mountain Rose Herbs is excellent. I'd also say you can look at free resources like American Herbalist Guild, and that will tell you like maybe who's a registered herbalist in your area. There's a bunch of free handouts and webinars even on their website. So American Herbalist Guild, American Botanical Council. So both of those are going to be sort of US centric, US based Um, associations that have information and resources about herbs and probably things in your community. And then for people in other areas of the world, there are other resources, but those two are places I would start. And then you can always, you know, reach out to someone like myself or someone else that's really interested if you're looking for a specific resource in your community. Mm -hmm. And do you work with families who are using herbs to help with fertility or menstrual cycles? Yes. In a roundabout way, I do really like to support someone in through their lifespan or in the perinatal period, especially. I would say that's probably less of my personal caseload. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing people either more during pregnancy or lactation and then maybe postpartum if they're having additional health issues Mm -hmm. and less. So I think people don't necessarily come to me for conception support or fertility support. I wouldn't say that's my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. Um, I might work with them a bit, but also there are other colleagues of mine that, that might be a better fit if someone's really dealing with ongoing infertility issues and needs a deeper level of support, I would probably, you know, be working with a colleague to help them or or refer them out. Mm -hmm. So if they are having issues, that is something that a qualified herbalist can help them. Yeah. I think just 
like anyone, some people are general herbalists and kind of support, you know, a little bit of everything like a family practitioner would. And some of us have a little bit more of a focus. And so I'd say for me, you know, more lactation postpartum and infant is my wheelhouse. And if someone really, really was working um, on healthy conception, fertility, I would maybe see if their case was a good fit. But I also really love, you know, if I have a colleague where that's their jam and that's what they do, they really work with reproductive herbals. That's where I'd refer them to. So I have no problem sharing the love. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so many things that herbs can help with. And yeah, and really fun and not being afraid to ask somebody just because they're herbalists like, hey, is this something you have a lot of experience in or specialize in? Because there are a lot of herbalists out there that don't know a, a darn thing about lactation. Mm-hmm. So really just don't assume an herbalist knows everything about every herb and every body condition. Different people are going to specialize in different areas. Perfect. Yeah. Great. Is there anything else that you want parents to know about herbs? You know, we're in an interesting time with a health pandemic and lots of global stressors going on where a lot of people are thinking about their health, their wellness, their immune system. And a lot of people are recognizing, hey, there are plant allies out there that, you know, can help and not that are not even uh, lactation or postpartum specific, just general wellness. So I think it's really cool if, if more people are becoming aware of the benefits and availability of herbs and plant medicine as they're caring for their family, whatever stage their family is in. And that just like you said, taking that information, but also if they're dealing with a specific health condition or they're on other medications, you know, at least communicating with someone to connect the dots to get out, is this safe for me, for my family, for this individual, so that they can be savvy and, and make appropriate herbal selections. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like you said, I think there's this idea that because they're considered natural, right, that they're safe and that's yeah. not. And I will say in, in full transparency, if you look at like reported adverse effects, you'll find like a teeny small handful for herbs and then you'll find, you know, hundreds of thousands for pharmaceuticals. So truthfully, mm-hmm. more people are harmed by improper prescription medications. And that's why mm-hmm. many herbs and supplements aren't you know, it's tightly regulated and requiring prescription because mostly they don't hurt people. But on the flip side, it's just, it's good to be mindful. It can be a powerful medicine and we want to be safe about it, especially if you have particular, you know, health issues or you're on a particular medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and for individuals that are just needing, you know, that herbal bit of information piece, um, many of us, like I'll do a brief, you know, like a 30 minute walkthrough with someone if they're like, Hey, what about herbs X, Y, Z? And then I can kind of check that for them. There are also other websites or databases where other healthcare pra- practitioners can access that. So mm-hmm. there are ways to check on safety. Yeah. So basically be mindful, work with a qualified provider. <laughs> yeah. If you're taking something and you're not seeing a difference, then you might want to talk to someone and see if you're taking the right thing or if you should switch it up or change your dosing. Right. Perfect. Okay. Great. This was awesome. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and find out more about you? Yes. So my primary website is lunalactation.com and you can definitely find out about me there. You'll find me on Facebook, Luna Lactation. Sometimes on Instagram, not so great at posting, but same thing, Luna Lactation. And so if you are interested in knowing a little more or you want local community resources, I'm happy to connect you. So if you're looking for me, Melissa Cole, lunalactation.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. It was so much fun, Shelly. Thank you for having me. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTapIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTapIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.